Matthew chapter 23, verses 13 and 15. Let me read the text and then give you one big idea that I'd like us to meditate on for this morning's worship gathering. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. One big idea, Jesus will do whatever it takes to open up the door of the kingdom of heaven and bring God's children home. Let me say that one more time. One big idea for you to meditate, to feed your soul on the love and grace and mercy of Jesus. Jesus will do whatever it takes to open the kingdom of heaven and bring God's children home. In this passage of scripture, we are in a chapter and we will be working through these woes. There are seven of them. These are the first pair. They have to do with the Pharisees and scribes, the leaders of Israel at the time of Jesus, religious Jewish men, and there are being judged condemned and the disciples as you look in verse 1 Jesus is turning to the crowds and his disciples he is warning them of these men and in these seven woes we will hear why what is Jesus all upset about what has got him stirred up if you go back to our most previous message on Matthew 23 The last message I gave, I talked about how Jesus is loving and his anger and wrath is not at all opposed in this text with his love. In fact, his wrath and anger here is an expression of his love, his deep, deep love for his people. When they are being maligned and abused and attacked, that brings out this very paternal motherly-like love that wants to protect his children. That's what's going on in this chapter, and that's why the big idea is Jesus is the epitome of God in the flesh, and he will do whatever it takes to open up the kingdom of heaven and bring God's children home. Now, in our text, you see the first two woes have to do with what happens when these Pharisees and scribes are leading Israel in the manner at which they are, both by their teaching and their lifestyle. And we see that the effect on the disciples that the Pharisees have, disciples of scribes and Pharisees, are not being allowed to enter the kingdom of heaven because they're being led astray. Because the disciples are following masters and teachers who aren't entering the kingdom themselves. So they're shutting the door to the kingdom. And then furthermore, you see that they will do whatever it takes, travel across sea and land. This is just a figure of speech, an expression of saying they will 
go the extra mile. They will go to whatever extent or length they need to go to make a proselyte, and that's just a convert. They will do whatever to make converts of their group of Israel. And when they do so, they don't make them converts of children of God. They make them sons of hell. Is that intense or what? And that's where I want to make sure you understand what has got Jesus all stirred up. It's because he cares deeply. He loves passionately his children and God's people. And he will do whatever it takes to open the door of the kingdom, not shut the door of the kingdom. He wants to bring God's children home. You see, God's word was given to Israel to open the doors of the kingdom of heaven. But these scribes and Pharisees used God's word to shut the kingdom and keep people out of heaven. These men that Jesus is talking about appear to be teaching the Bible in order to help people know the ways of God and bring them to salvation. But in reality, they are leading people to believe and behave like little devils, sons of hell. This is why Jesus calls them hypocrites. It's the Greek word that means actor or actress. They're dressed up in a certain persona and way, and they look as if they're doing one thing, but in reality, they're somebody else underneath. They're like shepherds who, instead of feeding God's sheep, they're like wolves who are eating the sheep. The position of a shepherd is one who cares for and protects the sheep, but these men are dressed like shepherds. But in reality, they're more like a butcher or a wolf who's eager to feed their own belly. They're like pastors in the modern day today who, instead of opening the door of heaven and preaching the free gospel of grace, go around telling people that God will bless you and make you happy if you give more money, especially to the pastor's bank account. Pastors are in a position where they're supposed to help people, give them hope, give them new life. But some pastors today are just like these scribes and Pharisees who dress up like pastors and they use their position of authority to get wealthy or seduce women and children for certain favors. These men that Jesus is talking about are like doctors who instead of healing and saving the sick and the diseased, they're more like a mass murderer who are injecting patients not with medicine but with poison. This is why Jesus calls them hypocrites. This is why his blood is boiling and his passions are stirred. This is why Jesus is filled with deep emotions and strong words of warning and judgment. How would you feel if you saw something like this going on? What sort of emotions would stir up in your own soul? As, as a way of update, I haven't been preaching for the last couple weeks. As many of you know, on June 17th, our daughter Lucy was born a couple weeks early. A little under five pounds, small, little, sweet baby girl. And all the doctors gave initial tests and said that she was small but healthy. Her lungs sounded great. Her heart was beating well. Everything looked great until eventually, a few hours after she was born, a test revealed some low blood sugar levels. So the doctors admitted her into the intensive care unit, gave her an IV with some sugary water, helped regulate the blood sugars. Within a few days, the blood sugars were regulated. They took her off the IV. She's eating on her own. Everything was looking great. We were hopeful our daughter Lucy would come home just within a few days after being born. But here we are, two and a half weeks later, and guess what? She and my wife are still in the hospital. Now, without going into too many details, I want to just sum up this little family update and illustration in this way. The doctors at the hospital want to do 
everything they can to make sure that Lucy is healthy. I have no doubts about that. They're wonderful people. We appreciate them, pray for them, and thank God for them. They're doing an excellent job at protecting her so that she does not go home unless she is as strong as she could possibly be. However, three times this week, we have been told that Lucy would be discharged and they were given a certain day and said, she's going to come home on this day. And we show up at 8.30 in the morning to have the doctors tell us, we need a couple more days. Lucy needs a couple more days. Can you imagine what this may have been like for my family? The feelings, the thoughts, the disappointment, because we had hopes that we'd bring our child home. The discouragement, because at times it's felt like this week, I don't know if they're ever going to let her go. The frustration and confusion because every test the doctors order for her comes back and tells us she's perfectly normal, she's very healthy, so our thought is bring her home. Can you imagine what this might feel like if this was your child? And does it make sense to you that the longings of Christine and I have all week been, we just want our baby to come home? Like, does that make sense? Is that reasonable for a parent to feel, I want my baby to come home? Now, that's been our week. It's not been the worst trial in the world, right? But there's, there is a, a connection to what I think is going on in this passage of Scripture, to what I have just walked through. But I think we need to intensify it. Now, I want you to imagine, how might you feel How might I feel if this is the way I have felt all week with good doctors and good nurses who genuinely do want what is best for Lucy and are doing everything they can to protect her and care for her? How might we feel if we found out that these nurses and doctors were actually making her weaker, sicker, killing her slowly? What if instead of giving her medicine, they were slowly poisoning her body and destroying that sweet little life? Now, what would that be like? Welcome to Matthew 23. I don't want you just to understand. I want you to feel the woe. Hypocrites. Feel it, brothers and sisters. Does Jesus not have every right to be angry, sad, grieved, disappointed? Wouldn't He, just like you and me, if you were in that situation and you knew that was your child, wouldn't you want to do whatever it takes to get your baby home? This is the heart of Jesus all through Matthew's gospel, and it is why he is speaking in the passionate ways that he is right here in this text. This, I hope, will help make sense of the deep anger and the words of grief that we find when Jesus says, Woe. Woe is not just a curse of condemnation. It is a word used throughout scripture and in the Jewish tradition to talk about lament and deep grief. And I believe Jesus is experiencing both. He is not flying off the handle, losing control as some sort of rage monster. He is rightly and appropriately angry, but he is also deeply grieved and longing in his heart for his children to come home. Why do I keep saying that? Look down at verse 37 of Matthew 23. This is how this chapter ends. And here we must remember the heart of Jesus 
Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stone those who are sent to it, how often would have I gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. This is not just anger and rage. This is a father, a mother, saying how I am like a mother hen, longing deeply longing to bring the children of Israel home, but they don't want to come home. Oh, how he wants the children of Israel to be in the house of God. But as he goes to the temple and he sees what's going on in the very house of God in Jerusalem, he sees doctors that are poisoning his patients. He sees pastors who are abusing their church members. He sees shepherds who are feeding on the sheep for their own bellies. Jesus' heart is beating, jumping out of the page. He is not upset with these Pharisees just simply because of his anger. He is upset because of the great longing that his heart has to open the door of the kingdom of heaven. But as our text says, they are shutting the door in people's faces. It's a, an expression, slamming the door shut in their face. Jesus, we know in the scripture reading earlier in the service in Matthew chapter 16, what did he come to do as he established the church? I will build my church. The gates of death and Hades cannot prevail against it. And on this rock, I will make sure that the church is built and established and strengthened. Nothing will stop him because I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus wants to give the church of Jesus Christ the keys so that we can open the way of salvation. This is the heartbeat of the gospel for people to enter in. He wants them to enter. And it is bad enough that they're rejecting his offer of life and salvation. But these men that he is condemning and judging and warning, they're not just rejecting Jesus. They are keeping others out of the kingdom through their own teaching and lifestyle. And this is why Jesus is willing to go and travel whatever length across sea and land in order to bring even one person to salvation, one proselyte, one convert to his way and to his kingdom. He will travel all the way from the heights of heaven down to the depths of the grave of the earth. And the scriptures say there will be great rejoicing in heaven when even just one sinner repents of their sin and puts their trust and their hope in the way and in the mercy and in the message of Jesus Christ. And what we have in contrast are men who are traveling great lengths and doing whatever it takes to convert one person to make them twice as wicked as these Pharisees who are feeding on the sheep. And this is why Jesus is willing to give his life. This is why Jesus eventually dies on a cross. I mean, talk this way in any sort of religious political center. Talk with this kind of passion. It should not be surprising why the next chapters after this speech in Matthew 26, they arrest him, crucify him, and say, we're done with this guy. Jesus is willing, though, 
to die and give everything that he has because he so badly wants the kingdom of heaven opened and the door not shut in your face, but widely open to say, come, come in. This is his desire, not just for you, but for all of the nations to come to faith. So two questions for you as we leave and as you meditate on this passage of scripture. Question one, is this how you view the heart of God? Do you see in the face of Jesus Christ the glory of the blazing heart of God, loving sinners like you? I know as pastoring this congregation, many of us will struggle with feelings of guilt and condemnation, and especially the moment right after you sin. Do you ever feel so dirty or unworthy that you think God would never want me? My friend, that is heresy of the highest order. He loves sinners. He came for sinners. He's the great physician who wants to heal sinners. When you're your weakest and most vulnerable, it is his most heart to long for and want to bring you home whole and safe. Oh, that we would all be done with these thoughts of God forever. When I talk to my wife, Christine, about just wanting our baby to come home, do you think about God like that? He wants you even more than what we would want in our own evil, corrupted, natural flesh to want our own child to come home. How much more does the pure love of God want you, sinner? He wants you more passionately, more deeply, more affectionately. See in this emotion of this text and in this chapter, the heartbeat of God through Jesus Christ. That's the first question. By looking at Jesus, are you getting a glimpse into the very window of God's heart towards sinners? And is your heart being freshly warmed and melted by the unfathomable and limitless love of God towards sinners? Yes, even the sins you committed this morning or last night or this week. Come. He is not putting a stiff arm He is not shutting the door. He is opening the door. Come. Second question. In what ways can we as a church open wide the door of the kingdom of heaven to the world around us? If the very thing that is getting Jesus stirred up in his heart is people who shut the kingdom of heaven, well then let's be people that please and honor the Lord Jesus Christ by opening wide the kingdom of heaven, by preaching and proclaiming the good news of the gospel to all tribes, tongues, languages, and nations. The keys of the kingdom were given to the church, and not one thing can stop the church from its advancement, not even death or the powers of death and hell and Hades itself. If these Pharisees will travel great lengths and do whatever it takes to make one convert of hell, what sacrifices then must there be for the church of Jesus Christ? What lengths are we willing to travel quite literally over sea and land to make all of those who don't know Christ have the opportunity to hear and receive this amazing message of love. I want you to imagine yourself at an embassy church gathering and the sermon ends and I close in prayer. And then 
I bring someone forward and they share their testimony of salvation and we baptize them. I don't know about you, but over the last six years, those are some of the sweetest church gatherings we have ever had at Embassy Church. Baptism services bring such joy and refreshment to the soul. Every time I hear those testimonies, it reminds me of my own salvation. It's not just their story, it's our story of being saved and rescued. It's like I'm reliving God's rescue of me and then I'm seeing it in someone else and we're collectively having the spirit of God's love towards sinners being stirred up in us. Do you ever experience a joy like that, my friend? When you hear the good news of somebody becoming a Christian, baptism Sundays are the best. So let's see more of them. Fuel the fire of your obedience, not out of guilt. Oh, well, we got to do this evangelism thing. Oh yeah, I got to be a good Christian and share about Jesus. How about pursue your joy? Like a carrot hanging out in front of you, say, how much joy is God giving you by offering to you the opportunity to be partners and co-laborers and ministers of reconciliation? What a gift! He could just save them in a dream or a vision or something, but he chooses to work through his church to give them the keys of the kingdom, to open wide heaven's doors and say, come, join me in my mission and see if your joy does not explode with mine when a sinner repents and all of heaven rejoices. I'm convinced we members of Embassy Church will experience incredibly great joy when we keep the mission of the gospel at the center of our lives and our church every day till he returns. So let us pursue this mission, fueled with the joy and the love of Jesus in our hearts, and let us in these outdoor gatherings, indoor gatherings, quiet times at home, reaching out to our next door neighbors, however God's spirit leads and fills you, Let's make much of Jesus opening wide the gates of heaven so that anyone and all can enter in. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we come now in Jesus' name. We come asking for the Spirit of God to do this very thing that we have just been talking about and listening about. Stir up in our heart and in our spirit, a joy, a longing, and a hungering of the joy that is experienced by being on your mission, by sharing good news of hope and salvation, of conquering over death and sin and Satan, of Jesus' great victory and defeat on the cross, and that the church will prevail, and that there is hope, and that the kingdom of heaven is opened and the door is available for us to enter in and dwell in your presence. God, we give you thanks for this gift and we pray that your spirit will lead us by faith and challenge us and convict us and melt our hearts away when we remember how much you love your children and will do anything to make sure we come home. Thank you, Lord Christ, for giving your life so that we could dwell in your presence forever. Amen. We're going to close out with one final song, Jesus Messiah, a song that will encourage our hearts, 
about the salvation of Jesus provided for us. Let's stand and sing together.